You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. You might know my next guest from her years as a news presenter on Channel 9, 10 and Sky News, or perhaps it's from the time she got her kid off at a TEDx talk. Journalist, writer, news presenter and now author Tracy Spicer has had a long career in TV that has, and now she's turned her experiences into a book. It's called The Good Girl Stripped Bear. She's with us in the studio now. Hi, hi Tracy. How are you? Hello. I'm well and I promise I'll keep my clothes on. <laughs> no one would know, would they? That's we right. don't have any cameras in here. No webcam. <laughs> so the title is, as I mentioned, The Good Girl Stripped Bear. It's a very honest and open account of your life. Have you always been that open about what's been happening in your life or has it been a process of getting used to, as you say, stripping yourself bare for the public? Like a lot of people, I think I was very honest as a child, but I had the layers of societal expectations put upon me as I got older. And we all build up this persona, particularly so if you end up with a job in the public eye, like on television, you feel like you have to behave in a certain way. So not only did I feel suffocated by the layers of makeup and hairspray and all that artifice, I felt like I had gone so far away from the person that I actually was, which was a bogan who's grew up in Redcliffe and I've done all right for myself. I just felt like I was acting this character as an adult and it wasn't really me. And how much of that was about being a news presenter? Because you do write in the book, there's this expectation that you're very straight, that you're not biased. And then all of a sudden you're writing all these amazing articles that are very open and for some controversial. What was that? It was that playing into it as well? I remember this expression when I worked at Channel 9 that they could make a poo look like a chocolate eclair. (laughs) And that was the way we were all supposed to treat ourselves, like something, you know, glittery and glamorous and make everything look fabulous. So it was actually very liberating and cathartic to start expressing an opinion and writing about the stuff that I'd learned, any kind of wisdom that I'd gained, and being able to give other women a voice because I think it's a privilege to have a public platform and now I've decided to use it for good instead of evil. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. One thing that I found was actually kind of surprising reading it, I feel a bit naive saying that now, but your experiences of sexism in the workplace about how you looked, um, but also your experience of pregnancy discrimination. I was reading it thinking, oh, no, this must have been ages ago. And then, of course, there's the recent case of Talitha Cummins. She's the former Channel 7 reporter who sued her employer for unfair dismissal. They've settled out, of course. Does it surprise you that it still happens? It saddens me that it still happens, but it doesn't surprise me. I've been talking to Talitha a lot throughout the whole process. I think she's a very strong woman and good on her for fighting the good fight. But if you look at the statistics, they bear it out. Any survey that's done on this, whether it's by the Human Rights and Equal Opportunities Commission or international bodies, show that anywhere between a quarter and a half of all women in the workforce suffer some kind of pregnancy or maternity leave discrimination. It's incredibly common. The problem these days is it's actually harder to put your finger on. When it happened to me, it was quite explicit. You know, it was said out loud, I could diarise it, it was said in front of witnesses, all those things that matter in a court of law. But these days it's done in even more of a subtle way. So that's why I think Talitha telling her story and hopefully me telling my story will give women who are going through this some kind of support that we stand with them and the language and process to use to fight it. 
One of the things, um, I don't mean to be negative, but one of the things about those two cases I felt was that it was very high profile. It was in the media and it feels like a lot of women probably have this happen to them where they can't put the spotlight on their employer and, and force them to do the right thing. Do you think that's part of why it's got that much attention? Definitely. When I took my legal action started the media campaign 10 years ago, I got hundreds of emails from women in all different types of occupations. A lot of them in, in the legal profession, interestingly enough, but also a lot of women in retail as well. So you're thinking about some of the lowest paid members of society. And my heart went out to them because, you know, these are people who are often uh, don't belong to a union, can't afford a lawyer, but because they're working, they can't get legal aid. They're stuck in a real bind. Fortunately, in the last 10 years, uh, there's been increased state legislation and federal legislation that protects women more, but it's still an incredibly difficult situation. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. My guest today is Tracy Spicer. She's got a new book called The Good Girl Stripped Bear. And we're just talking about the sorts of discrimination that um, Tracy faced and which she details throughout the book very clearly. Um, There are, of course, so many different layers to this book. And some of the chapters were quite hard to read, um, particularly when your mum was sick. Was that chapter hard to write? It was really hard to write. And you know, it's been 19 years since my mum passed away. But because we were so close, she had me when she was 19. So we were like friends as well as mother and daughter. And she was such a role model for my sister and I. I still look up to the woman that she was, even though she passed on all those years ago. Yes, it was therapeutic to write, but still very, very hard. It's one of the reasons why I decided to write my book as a comedy book, because I deal with a lot of serious issues, and sometimes the best way to get across a serious message is with a bit of a lighter touch, but also so I can stay sane as an author sitting there for eight months dredging up all of this stuff. Mm. And and with your mum, one of the things that made me think of was um, she passed before you had your children. And I have friends whose mum wasn't there. And I'm, I'm just wondering how you've, I imagine she's still part of your life. How have you coped with her not being there as your children have grown older? It was so hard when they were little because mum, uh, for one of her many careers, was a childcare teacher. She was amazing with child psychology and I would have loved to have been able to ask her questions (laughs) when I was at the end of my tether with a baby and a toddler because the kids were born very close together. But as they've become older, it's been great to be able to show them photos of, of their Nana Marcia in heaven, we call her, even though I'm an atheist. I just thought, <laughs> oh, well, we'll call her that. Um, and just talk about what a strong and powerful woman that she was and great believer in equality and very much ahead of her time. And the kids are old enough now that they understand that. They understand that that legacy has been passed down to me and I pass that legacy down to my daughter. And that's really beautiful to see. Now, every parent knows that uh, children change your life but it can be different for everyone. How do you think your children have changed your life? I am so much more patient than I used to be. <laughs> I really naturally have a hair trigger uh, temper. I, I burn very hot and then I get over it very quickly. But with kids, you're forced to be patient. I'm also much more organised. I'm naturally one of those head in the clouds, feel like writing a poem kind of person. Infuriating, (laughs) can't work out how to open most doors or how mechanisms work. But now I have to do practical things and not put something on the stove and almost burn the house down. So it's taught me (laughs) to be an adult. (laughs) That's very true. I think that's the first time I felt like an adult too is once I had children and I had them later in life. So Yeah, totally. Um, The work that you've done, as I mentioned, you've, you've 
presented um, TV news, but you've also done a lot of documentaries in developing countries, um, focusing on women and trying to help women. How does that sort of work impact you when you come home and parent in the first world? It was the greatest privilege of my life to be able to do four or five documentaries in the developing world. My favourite thing to do above and beyond news reading is to go off and do those docos. But one of them I did in 2012 to Uganda. I arrived there. I called the kids a couple of days later to talk to them. And they said, oh, mum, what presents are you bringing us back? And I went off my nut because we'd just seen a woman who was hours away from death, kids who were starving. You know what? That poor woman couldn't even digest food. We had to go and get her some food paste. That was the only thing that she could break down in her stomach. And so I tore their heads off something shocking (laughs) over the phone from Kampala. How dare you spoil Western children? Ask for presents. People are dying here in Uganda. And fortunately, it sank in because my son gave a speech at the school for his show and tell. I think they were in sort of year three and four about how mummy's bringing food to the children of Africa, which I thought was lovely. <laughs> so they got the message. Eventually. <laughs> um, so you, your children are older now. Do you have any advice for parents whose children are still young? If you look back on your own experience, I mean, what would you say to them? Oh boy, everyone parents differently and everyone has their own configuration. I guess my advice is that this too shall pass. (laughs) When you are in the middle of the nappies and the bottles and the breastfeeding and the lack of sleep, it's like the war. You know, you think it's not going to end. You just bunker down and you get by. And often it's hard to enjoy the lovely lighter moments because you're in battle mode. So my advice is that, yeah, it's hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but this too shall pass. And before you know it, they'll be older and they'll be making you breakfast. That's a wonderful, (laughs) wonderful day. Does that that happen to you? Look, we're pretty progressive in some ways as parents, hubby and I, but in some ways we're pretty old-fashioned. The kids are 10 and 12. They cook a meal each one night a week and we make them do a lot of the housework because, number one, we're physically lazy and, number two, (laughs) it teaches – and we're both working parents, right? And it teaches them responsibility. So from when my daughter was four and when my son was five, I think, because he He was not as capable as she was physically. He was born premature, so he had a few milestones to catch up on. But we gave them big knives in the kitchen and thought, well, they're going to learn. You know, we let them use the stove. I think – so don't underestimate what your kids can do. I think I'm going to take that away with me today (laughs) and start teaching my kids how to cook. Tracy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the chat. That's Tracy Spicer. She's a journalist and author of The Good Girl Stripped Bear, which is out in all good bookstores now. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.